Hey guys, welcome back to the Photo Banter Podcast. Um, before we got started today, I actually wanted to tell you about a new image transfer tool I've been using lately called PicDrop. Uh, it's a really great tool. It was actually designed by a photographer with photographers in mind. Um, it's a really great tool when you need to send off those big files to your clients. Um, you can create private galleries um, where your clients can actually write notes on the photos you sent to them and rate them. And it's just a really easy way to kind of keep everything organized in one spot. And it's really easy to send off those files to your clients on whatever assignments you're working on. I've been using it for a few weeks and uh, really like it. Um, for years, I was just using kind of like zip folders and Dropbox and like WeTransfer and some of those things. But with PicDrop, um, like I said, it was designed by a photographer, so they really know what photographers want. And it's really, like like I said, it's kind of helped me streamline everything in one spot, and I can't say enough about it. And actually, with today's episode, if you use the promo code PHOTOBANTER when you sign up at PicDrop.com, you're actually going to get three months free of the PicDrop image transfer tool when you sign up. So definitely go check it out and let me know what you guys think. And remember to use the promo code PHOTOBANTER when you sign up at PicDrop.com, and you'll get three months free. And uh, without further ado, we'll get into the podcast today. Thanks so much. Welcome to the Photo Banter Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gagne, and on today's podcast, I speak with photographer Andrew D. Bernstein. Andy is a legendary sports photographer, having spent over 30 years photographing the NBA, NHL, MLB, as well as advertising campaigns for brands such as Nike, Reebok, Pepsi, and Adidas, to name a few. In this interview, I speak to Andy about his experience being a team photographer for the Los Angeles Lakers, Clippers, and LA Kings, to name a few. I also speak to Andy about his recently published book, The Mamba Mentality, that he collaborated with on with legendary basketball player Kobe Bryant. Andrew D. Bernstein has documented some of the most iconic sports moments in history, so I was excited to get a chance to speak with him, so I hope you enjoy it, and thanks so much for listening. All right. Well, uh, Andrew D. Bernstein, uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. Oh, it's my pleasure, Alex. Great to meet you and great to be on your podcast. Thanks yeah, for having me. Definitely. I'm excited to talk to a fellow photographer and now you're a fellow podcaster too. You got a really cool podcast you've been working on uh, for a while. I saw actually today is the one year anniversary since your first episode I saw on iTunes since you started your own. Yeah. Legends. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how how has that been going for you? What kind of prompted you to get into podcasting? Well, um, I kind of started uh, doing some interviews with um, people on being on the other side of the mic, so to speak, um, with a Lakers show that I that I do on their TV network called Through the Lens, and that got me very comfortable doing interviews. I never thought I could actually do that, but that was <laughs> that was super fun. And um, a good friend of mine owns Podcast One. His name is Norm Pattis, and uh, I, I had kicked around the idea of doing a podcast for or doing something else for a while. But Norm called me and said, "Hey, I really love your Lakers show." Um, how would you like to bring that show onto my podcast network? And, you know, like I said, I've been kicking around the idea of maybe doing a, a podcast or something. And I said, well, Norm, that's a great idea, but it's a very visual show on the, on the TV channel. You know, we show a lot of photos and, mm. but you know, maybe we can figure out a way to, uh, you know, to bring that into an audio kind of, um, medium. 
And at the same time, I was try I was starting to launch my new platform, which is called Legends of Sport, yep. which is a content platform, a digital platform that basically celebrates, perpetuates, and documents iconic uh, legends, um, be it an athlete or a team or a moment or a venue or a personality in sports. So Norm and I kicked that around, and, and that's how Legends of Sport, uh, the podcast, was born. Mm-hmm. And we've been very fortunate to have the support of Podcast One and and be uh, distributed also on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and um, had some really great guests. I think I'm up to my maybe almost 50th, I think, podcast. Yeah. Uh, newest one that came out today, actually, was, was a really fun one with Franco Harris. So it's not just basketball oriented, which is my comfort zone, but it's uh, across the board all sports. Yeah, I saw you had people, you had Tony yeah. Hawk, Tony Hawk on a couple weeks ago. I yeah, think. Tony Hawk. I had people like Amy Alcott, who you know, uh, Hall of Fame golfer, who I really honestly didn't know or know anything about. Um, the great Peter Guber, you know the. Uh, the owner of the Warriors and the Dodgers and the LAFC team, um, a good friend and mentor. But, you know, these are people that are around the sport, might not be household names per per se, but um, I felt it was important to get their story out. And I'm really enjoying it. It's it's hard work, as you know. You have to do a lot of research. I have a great team that helps me, um, a researcher, a producer. Um, My sound engineer is terrific. So... You know, it's it's uh, like I said, a lot of work, but it's very rewarding and really, really, really fun. Yeah, no, definitely, it's really exciting. I've been listening to it, um, but I guess a little a little bit about yourself. I was kind of curious, like where you grew up and like kind of how did you get into photography initially? Well, I grew up in uh, Brooklyn, New York, and um, I was very much into sports as a kid. Um, I was the shortest kid in my block, so nobody ever picked me, you know, but <laughs> but I played a lot of stickball, basketball, street hockey, football, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And when I was 14, I got into photography. My dad bought me a camera, and we took a trip out west and uh, went to all the national parks, and I really got the bug for photography at that point. Mm-hmm. So when it became time to go to college, I kind of looked at both of my passions, being sports and photography, and thought there might be uh, something there, but didn't really realize I could combine them into a career and ended up going to the University of Massachusetts where I worked on our daily paper, wow. which was um, you know, really amazing because I got a lot of experience doing general assignments and all kinds of assignments uh, from sports to news to features to um, all kinds of stuff. And uh, I got my feet wet and ended up transferring to Art Center, College of Design in Pasadena, California, which is a very hardcore commercial advertising school. So my documentary kind of sports um, interest was not uh, not something that they encouraged or yeah. that they even promoted or even, um, quite frankly, <laughs> cared about. But somehow I got in, and uh, I was a little bit of the black sheep of the of the class, but mm. I persevered. I had two teachers. This is over 40 years ago. Yeah. I had two teachers that pushed me and encouraged me and wouldn't let me quit. Uh-huh. And these are still good friends of mine, still mentors of mine. And uh, because of them, I, I was able to meet some photographers from Sports Illustrated and I worked as an assistant for them mm. and got really my on-the-job training 
especially lighting indoor arenas with strobe. So was that like, and my, so like yeah. when, when you're in college, was it like you mm -hmm. always know, like, did you have a goal in mind where you like, was your dream to shoot for like SI or what was kind of your goal back then? You think, was it always a sports it's pretty much? Yeah. Well, when I was at UMass, um, I, I had sort of the idea that I would either be a documentary still photographer or a documentary news videographer. And, um, you know, back in the day when they would mail you the course catalog to your house, you know, before you started your freshman year, I probably should have read it because there weren't classes in either of those things. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, you know, I gravitated towards the newspaper because photography was my passion. Yeah. And there was no outlet to do any video or film at UMass at the time. I mean, there is now. I mean, they're, yeah. they're one of the top universities in the country for that. But um, but then when I, once I went to Art Center, I, I made the decision to go to Art Center because I knew I had to up my game. I had to really learn the science of photography. I had to see if there was possibly a career there. And Art Center was, was really the... Um, proving ground and the place where you would go to develop a career in photography. Um, and I, I pretty much knew once I started working for the sports illustrated guys, that sports was really where I wanted to go. I saw that as an exciting career, something different every day. You're around sports every day. Mm. Um, and, uh, so were you basically, was you, you were like, a, and I, you were like assisting you know, the sports illustrated guys. Yeah. Yeah. I was assisting them. I was learning the, everything that needed to be known about doing location assignments in every possible arena, stadium, venue, portrait situation. But the, the main thing I learned as was I learned how to light indoor arenas with yeah. these giant strobe units, which only sports illustrated was doing at the time. And mm. I saw that as my, my way in mm. the business because the, uh, the people at the forum, the Lakers and the Kings and the forum people, um, we're excited about the type of photography that I was doing, um, using strobes and the quality of that. And, and that got my foot in the door and that got my first job with the NBA in 83 wow. and, uh, led to my, my work with the Dodgers too, because, um, they were looking for somebody new and, you know, with a new perspective. So, yeah, yeah, just yeah. everything came together. That's mm -hmm. exciting. You know, like kind of hearing it, like a lot of photographers listening to this, I think the thing they struggle with is going from like assisting to shooting full time. Um, how do you kind of make that transition? I know you were kind of helping the SI guys where you kind of working on your own portfolio all the while while you're helping them. And like what advice sure. would you kind of give to people to try to like make that transition to kind of get in their first assignments and whatnot? Sure. Well, when I was at Art Center, which is a very grueling uh, program, they call it the the medical school of art schools because <laughs> you're working, you know, around the clock basically. And yeah. I somehow was able to not only get through Art Center, and I, I actually got a scholarship and 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 was able to, you know, graduate on scholarship, but I was working about 35 hours a week from one of my teachers in his studio. And I was assisting these sports illustrated guys, um, usually on the weekends with football, baseball, hockey, basketball, whatever it was. Um, because I knew that, that I had to learn from the inside and the outside, you know, inside being at school, the outside being working for my teacher in the studio and also, um, 
at every possible venue that you could imagine. Um, and I just did it. I mean, I, you know, was a young guy. I I was 19 when I got to art center. So I had a lot of energy and I had a lot of motivation. Uh, I had a lot of Brooklyn kind of, uh, moxie. Um, and I would encourage anybody that to seek out the photographer or a group of photographers or a, a, any kind of outlet that does the kind of work that you want to do and do whatever you can do to be around them, assist for them, work for free, mm-hmm. you know, clean, wash their car. <laughs> I mean, I, I worked for my, <laughs> I work, I was working in the studio where part of what I had to do was clean the bathroom, get lunch, mm-hmm. uh, pick up my boss's dry cleaning, take them to the airport, you know, yeah. but I also learned how to, to do a studio shoot and how to prepare for a location shoot and how to run a studio. I was watching him run his studio from the inside Mm -hmm. and how to deal with clients and how to keep clients, which is the key to any business is, is getting clients and keeping clients. So all of this was really vital to my growth and to my, um, aspirations to hang out my own shingle and become my own photographer. And uh, your first job for the NBA, um, I think I read, um, this might be incorrect, but I think it was shooting the 1983 All-Star Game. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. I mean, my first job, really, that I got paid for to be a team photographer of any professional kind was I was working for the uh, North American Soccer League, which is a long-defunct professional league called the LA Aztecs. Mm. Um, and they were probably paying me... 35 or $50 a game or something. Yeah. Uh, I was shooting games and developing film in my garage and dropping off prints in the middle of the night. Um, and that was while I was still in school about 1980, 81. Mm. And then 83, my big break came, um, that, uh, you know, through the relationships that I had forged at the forum, especially with the Laker people, uh, my good friend who was the Laker PR guy, mm. Um, suggested that I go back to New York and see if the NBA needed a photographer for their upcoming all-star game. This was, this was in about November of 82, which I did. I went back there and met with some NBA people and they had never, they had, hadn't even considered hiring a quote unquote official photographer for the game. But I guess I made the case that, (laughs) you know, I was local and I, my work was okay and I was pretty energetic guy and I would, uh, be an asset to what they were trying to do and they hired me and that was really the beginning of everything yeah because like back then 83 like did most teams even have like a staff photographer like now it is pretty much every team does pretty much but back then was that even a thing really yeah well they didn't have staff quote-unquote photographers they had uh, freelance photographers they had photographers who working for the that particular team in that market happened to be just one of their many freelance, um, contracts and, you know, you couldn't earn a living by being a team photographer for a team, you know, they're only going to play 40, 50 games total. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you had to have a bunch of things going on. So, um, you know, before we created NBA photos in 1986, um, everyone was kind of, it was kind of like the wild, wild west out there. You know, team teams had photographers or arenas had photographers that then also shot for the teams and, um, nobody shared photos with anybody else. Mm-hmm. So 
the the PR and marketing people would only see photos shot in their arena, for yep. example. Yep. So if you're in Dallas, you're only seeing your team, the Mavs play, you know, photos of them playing in your building. Yep. So that was the impetus of starting NBA photos in 1986, that there would be the league would control how photography was done throughout the league with all, I guess they were at that point, there were about 26 teams or 24 teams or whatever it was at that point. Um, and that they, through NBA photos, there would be a sharing system where you could then see photos of your team playing on the road, which was unheard of in those days. And M- and NBA photos, um, for people listening, um, it, it was essentially like almost like an internal wire service for the NBA. Is that kind of how you would describe it? It's um, um, Yeah, it was internal. I wouldn't really say a wire service. I would say more of a... Um, uh, a provider. Um, mm. It wasn't. There wasn't a subscription per se, like a wire service. You would, ha- you know, you'd have to pay a subscription to AP or UPI or Reuters. Mm. Um, first and foremost, uh, it was created so that the teams would be able to share imagery. Yeah. And then, very close second was that um, the league's licensees would then have access to imagery that they had the right to use they yeah. had paid money to to have the right to use um you know nba licensed imagery mm-hmm. and it, it it grew from there it was um initially it was run in the through the league office through the nba office itself it was actually run by some lawyers there who we're not the greatest at knowing about <laughs> <laughs> photography or creative stuff, but um, Gary Bettman very cleverly and, and and fortuitously moved NBA photos over to NBA Entertainment, which had just started um, and had built a building, a studio in Secaucus, New Jersey, yeah. and that's that's really where um, you know it's where it stayed and where it's flourished, yeah. and and the NBA did all of the above um, in-house for many years until Getty came on the scene, Getty Images. Mm. And it was uh, much more cost-effective and realistic for Getty to take over the management of um, of dispersing the photos to the world because they had a much bigger client list than yeah. the NBA did. But also, it wouldn't take the manpower within the NBA organization Getty would then uh, essentially subcontract it out to Getty and, and they would handle it themselves. Mm. So Getty is now our licensed um, service provider, as they are to many of the other leagues in the world, yeah. um, to NBA photography throughout the world. Yeah, and I was looking at it last night, and they have they have like a ton of your old photos on there. I was looking at stuff like Magic oh, yeah. Johnson. It was really interesting because yep. you can kind of categorize it like oldest stuff, newest. It was really interesting to see this stuff from like your early on in your career. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah, and definitely. You know, like one thing I was kind of interested in talking to you because looking at everything you've kind of accomplished, it seems like you've always been really a business minds had a business mindset, and I think that's one thing kind of some photographers struggle with. They they kind of get honed in on the creative aspect and sometimes let the business side um, fall fall a little bit. H- has business been something you've always been, been kind of natural at or something you kind of has grown at the longer you've done this pretty much? Well, that was uh, a, a real benefit of going to Art Center because um, they drilled into us from day one that 
photography, yes, it's a creative uh, enterprise, but it, it's also a business. Mm-hmm. And although they didn't uh, really prepare us, honestly, um, to run a business per se, um, it, was, it was really well understood that that photography is a business and you have to approach it as a business person would in any, any business, you know, if you're a dry cleaner or if you're running a gas station or you're whatever it is, you know, you have to learn how to do business. And I really um, gravitated towards that. I, I think I have a, a good nature um, to, to be a businessman. Yeah. You know, I don't understand all the ins and outs and all the stuff of, you know, taxes and, and yeah. all that business, but you get people to do that. So you have to have the right personality. And, you know, when I teach sports photographers or any photographers, or I talk to young photographers starting out, I mean, you can be the greatest photographer who ever walked the face of the earth. If you don't know how to do business and you don't know how to interact with people and you don't have negotiating skills, um, you're going to be a very lonely person because you need all of those things in order to succeed. I mean, you know, it's a capitalist society, Mm -hmm. you know, you need to earn money to keep the door open to do what you love to do. And if you don't learn that, if you don't, first of all, if you don't get that, um, and you're not financially independent, you know, or being bankrolled by somebody else, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know how are you going to, how are you going to, um, pursue your craft, do what you love to do and earn a living and be successful. It's, it's impossible to do that. Yeah. It seems like looking at you, you've kind of built all these relationships with like, you've shot, you've been like the team photographer for the LA Kings, the Clippers, the Lakers, the Dodgers. Um, yeah. And one, yeah. Thing, and one thing I was kind of curious is like, how do you like handle all those different teams? I know you kind of, it looks like you, when did you start your company? I know it's called Andrew D Bernstein associates. Um, was that something that kind of formed later on when you kind of got into the photo thing or how did that? No, I, I actually, um, started that when I first, uh, decided to become professional. It was right when I graduated from art center, which, uh, almost happened concurrently. I think it was around January or so of 1981. Yeah. And I formed a company called Andrew D. Bernstein Associates um, because I had other photographers who would help me on assignments or if I couldn't do two things at the same time or whatever. And then I incorporated. So now the full name is Andrew D. Bernstein Associates Photography, Inc. Um, Incorporated at some point in the mid 80s. Um, And I have clients that have been with me for the duration of my career. I mean, I, I've been with the Lakers. This is my 37th year working with them. I've been working with the Clippers since they moved, uh, since day one, they moved to LA in 1984. Mm -hmm. Um, the LA Kings, I've, I've been in total their team photographer, probably almost 30 years, Mm -hmm. the NBA 37 years. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been now with Staples Center, AEG, uh, Microsoft Theater. It's coming up to 20 years now. So there's a reason why I have been able to keep these clients as clients. <laughs> yeah. um, there is a reason why they keep coming back. Yeah. Um, and that reason is not just me and my photography skill or my skill as, as a business person. It's because I've put people in important positions in my company to represent the company and to succeed 
and to have basically a seamless transition between me and them. Mm-hmm. So when there's a Kings game, for example, tomorrow, yeah. um, my client is perfectly happy with me sending one of my staff photographers. Uh, if they see him or they see me, really, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's that's part of, of business for me is learning how to judge talent, yep. how to manage people. You know, management is a is a skill that I was never taught, although I observed it from various people that I worked for over the years. Um, you know, first and foremost was Bill Robbins was my teacher and, and the studio photographer I worked for. I you know I really saw how he managed people. Mm. Um, my great friend and uh, and, and my colleague uh, Carmen Romanelli, who ran NBA Photos for eleven years probably the, the best boss I ever had because he knew how to manage. He yeah. knew, um, you know, manage, managing is kind of like parenting. <laughs> you got to know what buttons to push. You got to know when to, when to lay back. You got to, um, you know, when to be a hard ass. You got to know how to encourage. You got to know where, where people's strengths are yeah. and where their weaknesses are. Yeah. And, um, and you need to, instill in them uh, a team spirit, which means that we're all working for the same goal, which is to take care of our clients, to keep them happy, to produce great photography that makes them look good. Yeah. I mean, that's really the bottom, that's really the bottom line. No, definitely. And, um, like, obviously, like, like you've said, like you've worked on a variety of sports. Um, but I would say like, would you say you're pretty most well-known for everything you've done with the NBA was basketball? Was that always kind of like your favorite sport to document from the beginning or did that just kind of organically happen for you? Well, it's a great question because I come from a hockey background. My my dad was, and my family were longtime uh, New York Ranger fans. We had team, uh, we had season tickets to the team for my whole life growing up, and I loved hockey. I still love hockey, and uh, you know it's it's funny because I never went. To, I think I went to one Knicks game growing up in New York. Wow! Uh, I love I love baseball. Um, so it's kind of a little bit ironic that that in my concentration and what I'm known for really is is basketball, um, probably because I've done it the most. But I still love hockey. Um, I love baseball when I was doing it. I love football. I love boxing. Um, any sport you put me in front of, I'll try to figure it out. You know. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, my, like I told you, my first sport was hockey. Uh, sorry, was my first job was uh, team photography for a soccer team. Yeah. I'd never seen a soccer game in my life when they hired me. <laughs> yeah. And now, you know, fast forward forty years later, I'm the one of the contributing team photographers to the new LAFC MLS team. And I love soccer. You yeah. know, my kids have played soccer growing up. Um, just don't don't particularly understand the ins and outs like I do of basketball or hockey. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I love shooting the game. It's love. I love being around it. Yeah. So you know, long answer to your question is that no, basketball yeah. was not my my favorite. I would say it probably is now, mm-hmm. um, only because it, you know I've made my career really from. Um, being known for basketball, but hopefully people, you know, can look at the full portfolio of what I've shot over the years. Yeah, I think, man, I think that's kind of the exciting thing about photography. Being a photographer, you don't know what's going to kind of get thrown your way, so it's kind of when you get an opportunity, you got to take it and see what you can build with it. And um, uh, I actually read an interesting story. Maybe you could talk about it. Um, I think you were photographing. It might have been Daryl Strawberry and Barry Bonds. 
and uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, if you could describe that story, uh, Barry Bonds wasn't too happy to be photographed. It sounded like. Well, you know, you got you got to know who you're dealing with personality-wise. Um, I didn't know Barry Bonds at the time. I knew Daryl Strawberry because um, I uh, was the Dodgers team photographer when he was playing for the Dodgers. Daryl is a wonderful guy; he still yeah. is. But yeah. I really enjoyed uh, being around him and knowing his story and how he grew up. And um, but anyway, long story short, it, it was batting practice before uh, I think. Uh, Dodgers uh, Pirates game. I think um, Bonds was playing for the Pirates at the time, and it was a great moment when the the two sluggers are kind of standing at the batting cage, you know, with their bats, like leaning on their bats, looking out at at the field. And I was kind of, I kind of came up from behind to get this sort of poignant photo. Um, it was a very cool picture. I can even imagine it now. And I guess. I got on his, uh, you know, radar screen somehow, Barry Bonds, and the he he literally swung around with the bat and came about an inch an inch from my lens. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, and I, I I know he had no intention of hitting me. Uh, yeah. He would have hit me if he wanted to hit me. Yeah. But you know, wasn't a cool thing to do. And yeah. Daryl, of course, like said, "No, hold on a second. These are guys. Cool. He's don't worry. You know, blah blah mm. blah." But these are the things that happen, and you know they happen over your, your course of your career. Um, yeah. that you don't really have control over other people's uh, personalities. Um, yeah, that's you know if I, if I if I get Barry on the podcast at some point, which I'm trying to do. Yeah, um, I'm sure I'm sure we'll joke about it because <laughs> you know it was just kind of part of his kind of persona at the time. Yeah, and you know I was going to ask because the thing about your photography that's really interesting is, is you've been. Um, able to get access to where a lot of photographers don't. You might be like traveling with the team on the plane, um, in the locker room. Um, this you get all these unique perspectives. Um, did it kind of take you a while to get comfortable um, approaching these like more kind of behind the scenes things? Because um, like situations like that, some players don't like it. How do you approach those situations where it's more kind of like quieter moments? I guess. Well, you, you got to remember, Alex, I came from kind of a love for documentary photography, photojournalism. So it's kind of in the back of my brain that that that, that kind of sort of fly in the wall behind the scenes coverage was part of covering a, a game or a sport or whatever, an event. Yeah. Um, and some of the photographers I worked for uh, as an assistant were really good at that. Like they were great at doing this behind the scenes stuff. And I really saw how they did it and how they were very careful and discreet and, and, you know, true flies on the wall. Mm -hmm. But, um, my, my real kind of epiphany moment came with Pat Riley. Uh, this was very early in my career and Pat was a new coach at the Lakers and, and, you know, I, I'm a Brooklyn guy, got a little bit of a uh, chip on my shoulder and I kept trying to get into his huddle and, you know, be at a timeout or before the game or shoot around or whatever it was. Mm. And Pat uh, very um, succinctly would tell me in Schenectady type language, where it's where he's from, <laughs> that uh, I wasn't welcome in his huddle. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> trying to be as diplomatic as possible. And this went on for a while until one game during the uh, pregame shoot around Pat's out there just about to start the game um, and call the team together. And he sees me on the baseline. He motions me over and he, 
I'm like, okay, I, I'm, I, I'm going to get yelled at, but I'm going to go over and talk to the coach. I wasn't doing anything. I was just kind of on the baseline shooting the guys warming up. And he said, uh, hey, kid. And I was actually a kid back then. He said, hey, kid, uh, why do you keep wanting to get into my huddle? I mean, what's, the, what's, what's with you? I keep telling you no, and you keep trying to come in. Yeah. And I said, well, coach, I got to tell you that, that, that myself and every fan out there, they, they don't want to be on the outside looking in. They want to be on the inside. They want to see what's going on. What, what, you know, you're talking to Kareem, you're talking to magic, you're drawing up a play, mm. you're rah, rah, and the guys getting them ready. I mean, you know, sometimes TV gets in there. They're able to see that on TV. Why can't I do that? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. he looked at me right in the eye and he said, he said, all right, kid. He said, I'm going to give you one shot tonight to do it. And if you screw that up, you're never coming back in my huddle again. <laughs> it's uh, a true story. Yeah, no, and Pat yeah. and I laughed about this many times. And I did it and didn't screw it up and built a great rapport with not only with Pat, but then, of course, with Phil Jackson and, and many other coaches throughout the years. Mm. And uh, that's been kind of my forte. Yeah, it's pretty amazing because, like, would you say, like, that's kind of maybe part of your success is you've been able to build these relationships with the players, the coaches, um, all different people that work in the NBA? Because um, I know you just recently published a book with Kobe. You did one with Phil Jackson. Um, mm -hmm. Is that kind of a big part of your success is just being able to build those relationships and they can kind of trust what you do pretty much? Oh, absolutely. And, and the key to that whole thing is that you want to – you never want it to be about you. Okay. Yep. So you want to be, um, you don't want to be anonymous per se, because if you're anonymous, nobody knows who you are, but you want to be in the background. You want to be part of the wallpaper. Um, and when people come in a room, they actually sometimes notice the wallpaper, but they, the wallpaper doesn't get in the way of what they're trying to do. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, I've been very fortunate because of my, um, position with the NBA and with various teams that I've been able to be on the inside, be with the guys um, when they've let their guard down, when they're not around the public or other media. Mm -hmm. um, I've been very, very, very discreet over the years in terms of just being very careful not to disturb them. And Kobe is the perfect example. You know, I met Kobe um, as a young teenager, um, 1996. I uh, took his first picture as a Laker and his last picture as a Laker 20 years later and wow. hundreds and hundreds of thousands in between. And he and I established a really great working relationship as well as a friendship um, yeah. where he trusted me. And he knew that if, if he let me into his inner sanctum, which would be his private training or his workouts or his, even where he would do his, his meditation before a game that I wouldn't disturb him and I wouldn't be in the way and I wouldn't make it about me, yeah, you know? Yeah. And, um, and you guys just, and it was, you guys just published mm -hmm. a book, uh, yes. the Mamba yeah. men mentality, how I play, um, right. you and Kobe Bryant, like how did that book kind of come together? Was that your idea or Kobe's or how did that kind of all come to be? Well, it's interesting because in Kobe, during Kobe's farewell tour, so to speak, at the end of the 2016 season, you know, when we all knew he was retiring, um, I, I was thinking about the the mountain of content of photography that I produced over that 20-year period, of which only really the tip of the iceberg has really ever been seen yeah. and, or published. And it's only because of volume. I mean, it's just so it's been much. so much shot over the years. Yeah. And... 
Kobe also, when he and I sat down and talked about it um, towards the end of, of his um, of his run, um, you know, he had a story to tell. Uh, he he was very um, mysterious as a player. He, there were people on his own team that didn't know what his private workout regimen was, or his uh, training, or how he approached the games, or how he broke down games. You know, this is a guy who studied tape um, endlessly. Um, and what he was thinking at the time and all the stuff that made him who he was, which, you know, as we know, is, you know, the black Mamba. Um, so he felt that it was time to tell his own story. And I guess he felt that it was appropriate and a proper way to do it was through my photos, which was incredibly generous on his part. He could have done it, you know, with any number of photographers or photographs, but, Mm -hmm. He chose it to be through my photographs, and it was a tremendous collaboration. The book has done um, far better than any of us ever imagined. It's now in, I think, 15 countries and 13 languages, yeah. uh, second printing here in the U.S. I mean, it's it's really gone crazy. So um, a lot of people love the Mamba, but I think a lot of people are happy to and, and really, um, I guess, gratified to, to read his story from his own words. Yeah. Um, it's not like somebody is writing his story. He's right. He's writing and telling us his own story. Mm. So a very unique collaboration. You no, know, it's pretty amazing. And the thing I was going to ask being that you've documented like Kobe's career, like from start to finish and you, you were around in the Jordan era for, for, for documenting, like you've seen so many different players, what makes a guy like Kobe or like a Jordan, what makes him so much so special because they're above and beyond. Like mm-hmm. there's, they're the best, you know? Well, that's that's really a great question, Alex. And what I, the way I like to answer that is that you have to be great to become one of the 400 or so players that are in the NBA, right? I mean, you you have to have been a great prep or, or high school player. You've had to have been a, a great college player to get drafted, or even an undrafted player. You have to be even greater, you know, to catch the eye of somebody. But um, but these guys that you mentioned Kobe, Jordan, Magic, Bird, LeBron, uh, Durant. I mean, you know, Curry, we can name, you know, probably 25 guys yeah. off the top of our head. They, these guys have like an extra gear mm-hmm. of some kind. They got an extra, I don't know if it's an extra chromosome or something, but they have, they have an extra gear above greatness yeah. that, that transcends the word great because they obviously are icons and they have taken the game to a different level. And this is really kind of speaks to the core of what Kobe calls the Mamba mentality. It's taking your potential and working as hard as you possibly can to realize that potential and then going the next step above that Mm. to become better than you thought you could ever be through hard work, dedication, um, uh, paying attention, and being present in your craft continuously throughout your career. Yeah. So, you know, it's a body of work that, that really, you know, there are no flash of the pans of any of these people I mentioned. These are guys who have had long careers of, of, you know, it took Jordan seven years to get his first championship. A lot of, a lot of heartache yep. and a lot of learning and a lot of having to reach another level which he did. I mean, he came out of college, you know, a great player, but he wasn't 
the Michael Jordan that he became when he left North Carolina. I mean, that took, you know, years and years and years of honing those skills and, and becoming the great icon that he is. Yeah, they just they just don't want to lose. Those guys this are so competitive. It just seems like on another yeah. level, it's pretty amazing. And Oh, uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. One thing I was curious, because I know you did another book, uh, Journey to the Ring with Phil Jackson. Um, right. How is it working with Phil Jackson? Because I've read so many stories. Is, is it true he, like, he used to burn like incense in the locker room and do really interesting things with the team? What was it like working with that guy? Well, Phil is an interesting cat. You know, he, he comes from the hippie generation, mm-hmm. and he uh, he walks by a different beat, but he is probably one of the most competitive guys I've ever met in my life. (laughs) Honestly, he just goes about it in a little bit of a different way. You know, he's not this kind of coach that will scream or, or, you know, throw things, but he has a way of teaching and a way of coaching and he commands tremendous respect from his players. And that, that came over years and years of, of, of working his way up. Honestly, um, you know, he's an assistant coach for a long time. He worked in the, the, the CBA. He, um, you know, took Phil a long time to become coach of the Bulls. And then, yes, he's very fortunate to have some great players to coach. But if you're not a great coach, I don't care how great your players are, um, you might not be winning championships at the clip that Phil did. Mm. Um, so it was a, a great relationship and Phil really loved photography as well which is something that people don't really know mm. and he and I had many conversations about photography and about uh, art and all kinds of stuff I mean we would go to dinner on the road and we wouldn't even talk about basketball you know we <laughs> we thought I'd, I was you know starting to become a parent and we would talk about his experience being a parent and mm. And, you know, what kind of knowledge he could give me to help me along the way and and all kinds of stuff like that. But um, it was a great collaboration, just as it was with Kobe, but in a different way, because it was documenting um, not just a person, but an entire team and that team's journey. So that was the 2009 to 10 Lakers and their journey from training camp to wherever the season was going to end. we had a publisher that was committed to publishing the book, um, no matter where the Lakers season ended. They didn't make the playoffs. If they made the playoffs, if they lost in the first round, if they got to the finals and lost or won the finals, the publisher was committed. Wow. That's, that's amazing. So you knew from the beginning of the season that there was going to be a book. Yes, absolutely. I was working on it since the first day of training camp. Wow. So, uh, in fact, I think the first picture in the book is from training camp of Kobe sitting in his locker on the first day of uh, media day, which we call, you know, it's the first day of training camp. Um, so, yes, we knew that. We knew that uh, Phil was going to contribute his words um, to a very loosely structured book um, that's basically cr- uh, chronological throughout the season. And he did. And he kept his end of the bargain, um, always was producing copy when we needed it. And we talked quite often about the direction of the book and the photos that he wanted to see me create that spoke to what he was going to write about and then vice versa. You know, I would have photos that I would then show him and then he would write 
uh, toward you know to those photos and speak to those. So um, it was a it was a great collaboration and a lot of fun. I mean, you know, who in their career gets to collaborate with a eleven time yeah. you know, <laughs> champion coach, yeah. um, and then you know get to do it again a few years later with one of the greatest players who ever played the game. So, yeah. um, you know, very fortunate, very grateful, but mm. I got to tell you, Alex, you know, again, I, I could have been the world's greatest photographer who ever walked the face of the earth to shoot basketball. But if I didn't get along with these guys, it wouldn't work, you know, Phil and Kobe specifically, and then, you know, if I didn't have the right personality and didn't make it about me, you know, they would, why would they want to work with me? I yeah. mean, they, they didn't have to do that. I mean, it wasn't like Phil was making a ton of money or Kobe off of this book. Yeah. It was something they wanted to do and they wanted to do it with me. And that speaks volumes and yeah. I'll forever be grateful for that. Yeah. That's amazing. They trust you. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, one thing I was kind of curious in asking you is like, you're photographing basketball for years. How, how do you, um, continually like, uh, challenge yourself to like make new uh, compelling work because it's like mm. you're shooting in the same environment every night for the most part how do you kind of push yourself to try new things so you're not continually doing this taking the same photo over and over again you know what I mean yeah well you, first of all you got to look at the subject that I'm shooting because you know yes it's a 48 minute game but every single game is different mm-hmm. um, there are plays that happen almost on a nightly basis that I might not have ever seen before, you know, um, they truly are the greatest and most athletic of athletes that I think walk the face of the earth are NBA players. I mean, I'm not just saying that because I'm around them the most, but they, they are truly what they can do with their bodies is, is not only incredibly uh, graceful and beautiful and athletic. It's just, what a, what a great subject to have in front of you, you know, five, six nights a week. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, item one, item two is that I do challenge myself. Although we do the same setup basically on a nightly basis with seven or eight remote cameras and how I approach the game. Um, I'm always looking for a new angle, especially Mm -hmm. when I go to different arena, I'm always looking for a new place. And case in point with that is, um, some of the remote angles that I do, I actually invented one that had never been done before where I I was able to coerce my my good friends at Staples Center and the Lakers to let me cut a hole in the bottom of the pad of the basket stanchion and oh, wow. stick a camera yeah, stick a camera in that hole on the floor to get a beautifully, <laughs> you know, perfect perspective, um a symmetrical perspective, looking straight up. I mean that's an angle that T V can't even do. Yeah. They can't they can't get a camera in there. So, you know, that, that came from, uh, just wanting to kind of feed my creative juices and see what else we can do. Mm. And like I said, like when I go into other arenas, some that I hadn't been to before, some of the newer ones, I'm, I'm looking for nooks and crannies and places that maybe, you know, camera hadn't been put there before. So, um, it's a challenge, Mm -hmm. but yes, it, it is a formula that we do. Um, it's the only way we can, cover a game to the extent that I cover it with, you know, 10 or 11 cameras every single night. Um, but yet my approach to it is that it's a fresh night every night. You know, it's not like, you know, it's not like a Broadway show, which is the same every single night, Mm -hmm. you know, or sometimes concerts are that way. Um, uh, and, and not to denigrate any other art form, but 
sports is is special because every game is different. Yeah. Every game has its moments. Yep. No, definitely. No, it's exciting. And, you know, one thing that's really interesting, like you shoot the games and you shoot the behind-the-scenes stuff, and then you'll shoot. I saw one shoot you did that I thought was really interesting. Um, you photographed, you spent like the day with LeBron, it was the whole day, but you photographed LeBron um, while he was watching uh, Barack Obama's first inauguration. Um, what was that all about? What was that shot for? And like, how was that kind of experience? Because it, it was kind of interesting. Oh, yeah, that was great. Well, he was playing, uh, I don't even remember which team he was on. He was on the Cavs or the Heat at that time, but it was 2008. And that team was in L.A. to play. I think they were playing the Clippers, and then they had a night off, and then they played the Lakers or something like that. Anyway, it was January 20th. It was Inauguration Day. Yeah. And I got a call from my uh, my boss at the NBA, NBA Photos, and said, hey, you know, LeBron has given consent for us to shoot him watching the inauguration in his suite. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was at the Beverly Wilshire or someplace. Yep. And, you know, there'll be a video camera there and, and you'll be the still guy. And I'm like, wow, that's cool. I mean, I don't even know how it came up, to be <laughs> quite honest with you. Yeah. But, um, but all of a sudden, here I am in the suite with LeBron at this historic moment in American history yeah. um, with his two kids who were little at the time. Mm -hmm. You know, Bryce and, and, and Bronny were like little, you know, um, running around on top of him. I mean, it was uh, it was truly an incredible experience. And yeah. he and I still share that wonderful experience. Um it's really one of the only times in my career that that sort of um, news, you know, history, historic moment, um, and my job as a sports photographer kind of all kind of combined at the same time. Yeah, know? it was this interesting because it was like it was like beyond, yeah. it was beyond basketball. It was this like oh such, yeah, such a historic sure. moment, and then you're this sharing it with LeBron, who's been like. He's like he's pretty yeah. out, outspoken with like social issues and whatnot uh, throughout his career. Sure. So, so it's just pretty yeah, interesting. Yeah. You, you're there for that. It's just wild. No, absolutely. I mean, there have been a few moments like that in my career. Of course, the dream team that that transcended basketball. You know, that was really amazing. That whole experience and and being with LeBron, going to the White House a few times with teams. Um, yeah. uh, you know, th there have been a few times, but that was really amazing. I look back on that. I actually post that picture every January 20th. Mm. Um, and he always, he and I always kind of uh, wink at each other about it because it was, I think it was a really special moment for him too. You know, and, and I give him a lot of credit because he didn't have to have cameras there in his suite. Mm -hmm. Um it's a private moment. He's with his family, yeah. but I think he felt at the time, uh, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he probably felt, Hey, you know what? It's important for the world to see that I am watching this and yeah. that it's important to me and my family and my young kids. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I, that's the way I took it. Yeah, no, it was interesting. And uh, a few more questions. I'll let you go. Um, sure. like, like you mentioned it, you photographed the 1992 dream team, um, how did that kind of come about and how was that experience? Just cause it's just such a legendary team. Um, it was like Jordan, John Stockton, was it Patrick Ewing? Um, yeah. How, how, magic. How, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How was that? Larry Bird. Yeah. How was that experience yeah. photographing that? Well, I gotta tell you, man, if, uh, if I could have retired after that assignment, uh, <laughs> it would have been a great career, you know, at that point. <laughs> but I had, uh, 
you know, the NBA had uh, kind of joined forces with USA basketball and, and they would, that dream team was the first team made up all of professionals with the exception of Christian Leitner, who was the lone uh, college guy. Um, And the agreement, I guess, between USA basketball and the NBA was that we at the NBA and NBA entertainment would be providing the coverage of the team. Mm -hmm. And um, me being kind of the senior guy then at the, uh, even at that point in 92, I was assigned to be the guy. Um, So I was literally with them from the start of training camp in San Diego for the full seven weeks uh, through the tournament, of the Americas in Portland. Then we went to, training camp in Monte Carlo and of course ended up uh, in Barcelona. Mm. So it was an insane experience. <laughs> I mean, yeah. looking back on it, uh, it was a lot of fun. I felt a lot of pressure, honestly, to produce photography that would really stand the test of time and become, mm. I guess, iconic. Yeah. Um, and it, and some of it has, um, I was really, really grateful to the NBA people um, and the USA basketball people. Who I still work with. It's still the same people, yeah. you know, 40 years, 30-something years later, mm-hmm. um, who are running USA basketball that I worked with. Um, really grateful, to, you know, to them to allow me to have that kind of unprecedented access. And that was really, I think that was the first book that I was really a central part of that my photography was part of it was called America's dream team, yeah. um, written, written by, uh, essentially by coach Daly. Yeah. Um, but great experience. Did, um, did it just feel spe- really did, cool. like, did it just feel special? Like when you're there, like, did you know, like you're a part of something that was this going to be so iconic when you're there? Did you kind of know, have a feeling when, while you're shooting it pretty much? Every single moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, every, every moment. And even in the downtime, I mean, like, for example, I, I, I went out to accompany Michael Jordan, uh, Coach Daly, a few other people to, to play golf in Monte Carlo. Mm-hmm. You know, and you think, all right, they're playing golf and it's kind of some downtime. But, you know, when would you ever get a chance to shoot Michael Jordan playing golf and on the iconic 14th hole of in Monaco, you know, with, <laughs> with this ridiculous French Riviera scenery behind you, you know, so, you, you know, I had to be on all the time. I had to be really producing yeah. really, really high quality photography. Otherwise, you know, these were opportunities that would never come again. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was a lot of pressure. I, I look back on it, um, that, it was fun and it was uh, a moment in, in my career that will live forever and I'll always be grateful for. But I did feel a lot of pressure and I luckily had the help of my really good friend, my cohort, Nat Butler, mm-hmm. who also provided a lot of photography for that. So he and I together, you know, we're a good team. Yeah, no, it was amazing. And, you know, I was kind of curious to get your perspective, like how has the business of photography changed and what do you think photographers need to be doing if they still want to make this a career? Because, like, I know uh, sports photography has changed a lot. Um, what do you think photographers need to be doing now if they want to be able to make this a career these days? Yeah, that's that's a, the million-dollar question there, my friend. Um, you know, the business has changed so much that we're not seeing people aspiring to be staff photographers for major news outlets anymore. Yep. Um 
you know, they still exist, but their staffs are getting cut or eliminated or newspapers are going under or whatever, you know, left and right. Um, I think you have to really understand that you have to be, you have to multitask. Mm-hmm. You have to be really good at photography. You have to be now really good at video, which, you know, I, I don't do any video, but um old school and old generation, but mm. um, you got to be able to do everything and understand that it's not like it used to be. I mean, the millennials now didn't grow up with, you know, the, the newspapers that I grew up with, uh, with the big staffs and, and the way things were covered in those days and the magazines. I mean, even sports illustrated is kind of, you know, hanging on by a thread. I mean, the, the, the hallmark, the icon of our business, Mm -hmm. you know, it's trying, trying really hard to survive. They cut their whole staff. Um, so it's a different model now. Um, I'm a firm believer that if you have talent, that talent alone, you know, obviously is necessary, but talent alone will not make you successful. Like we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. that you have to be good at your people skills, your business skills. Um, you have to be relentless in, in pursuing work and maybe try to find work in areas you never thought you'd draw, be drawn to, yeah. um, you know, social media is huge now. Um, there are ways to use outlets in social media to your advantage yeah. um, and actually earn a living and make money. Yeah. <clears throat> and you just don't pigeonhole yourself. You know, look at look at the whole landscape of photography mm-hmm. <clears throat> and try different things, meet people, and don't stop shooting. Yeah. I mean, if yeah. you... If you stop shooting, your your talent is going to just kind of wither away and don't get frustrated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's like, but, it seems like uh, yeah. ta- from talking to you, a lot of your career, it's just kind of, you kind of made the opportunities for yourself. It's like knocking on doors and presenting things, yeah. be it the NBA. It's just kind of, I think it's still the same thing. It's just like knocking mm-hmm. on a lot of doors and just trying to cre- create those opportunities for yourself. You're out there. It's just some people yeah. might not even know they want to buy your services but it's just a right. matter of pitching it to them and making it happen. Um, exactly. Exactly. And, and yes, the, you know, a lot of athletes now are in need of really good photographers, videographers to document their stories so that their social media platforms stay, you know, really well um, attended and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they pick up followers and they're able to be different and of course the apparel companies are always looking for who's new and who's hot and who's doing cool stuff. Yeah. And it, it's it's just a matter of um approaching it almost the same way I did, but knowing that that the outlets that I had available to me back in the day not the same as they are now. Yeah, exactly. And um which is fine. You know, things evolve and things change and we went from film to digital, which whoever thought that would happen. Yeah. Um <laughs> And just be present and and be grateful and use the opportunities and use the people that are in your life who want to help you. Um, use them as much as you can uh, with tremendous amount of respect and gratitude because these are the people who are going to help push your career over the finish line. Mm, yeah, definitely. And uh, my last question, I'll let you go. Um, you've been doing yeah. this, you've been doing this a long time. Like, what do you think is the key to your longevity? What kind of keeps you excited about photography these days? Well, 
it's crazy, Alex, but I still love doing it. I still <laughs> love going to games. You know, I'm going to game tonight. Um, mm. I still look forward to what I'm going to see in the back of the camera, you know, <laughs> when I take a picture. Um, I love the challenge of, of doing business, of keeping my clients happy. Um, I love uh, managing people. Uh, I love building my new platform, Legends of Sport, which mm. is going to be hopefully my next life as uh, in my career, mm. um, God willing. <laughs> and, you know, right now I got a lot of balls in the air. I, I'm really doing essentially two, two full-time jobs at the same time, you know, keeping what I've been doing for years yeah. with my photography and my business, but also trying to grow this platform. And stay tuned for that, because next time we talk, I'm sure there'll be a lot more to talk about with Legends of Sport. We're on the cusp of, uh, of a few very exciting things that are about to happen. No, it's exciting. I love the podcast. And uh, for people listening, um, where's the best place to check out all your work? Sure. Well, the podcast can be found um, on Podcast One or any of your podcast platforms, but primarily on Apple Podcasts. It's called Legends of Sport with Andrew D. Bernstein. And you can follow us um, on that platform on Instagram at Legends of Sport, on Twitter at LOS Podcast One. And then my photography can be found uh, primarily on my Instagram, which is at ADB Photo Inc. Mm. I'm posting a lot of my uh, sort of iconic photos from the past, what I'm doing today. Uh, what happened at last night's game. We kind of cross-platform quite a bit between Legends of Sport and um, and ADB. And we also have a blog, actually, that people would might be interested in called uh, legendsofsport.blog, cool. where you can log in and you can discuss uh, this day in sports history or read long-form stories that my researcher Jonah writes about this week's guest on the podcast, and it's interactive and uh, people seem to be really enjoying it. So this is kind of the launching point for what Legends of Sport will become. Perfect. Well, I'll link it all, Andy, and people can go check it out. And uh, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to do this. real pleasure talking to you. Yeah, me too. Thanks so much, and good luck with everything you're doing, my friend. I appreciate it. Take care, Andy. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the Photo Banter Podcast today. I actually wanted to tell you about a new image transfer tool I've been using lately called PicDrop. Uh, it's a really great tool when you need to send off those files to your clients or whoever you're working with. Um, you can create private galleries, um, custom folders where your clients can actually uh, write feedback on the photos that you sent them. They can rate them. You can see when your uh, clients have downloaded them so you know that they got your files that you sent them. Um, it was actually designed by a photographer so they really had photographers in mind when they designed it and kind of know what know what you need and like I said I've been using it for a few weeks now and I really enjoy it um, it's kind of helped me kind of streamline everything and keep everything organized in one spot and actually with today's podcast episode if you use the promo code photo banter when you sign up at pickdrop.com you're actually going to get three months free uh, when you sign up at pickdrop.com but just remember to enter the promo code photo banter when you sign up and you'll get three months free and uh yes let me know what you guys think like i said i enjoy it and can't say enough about it and also just need to give a big thank you to our guest today andrew d bernstein um such a legendary sports photographer i've been looking at his work for years that guy has shot so much iconic work over the years of like Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan, all the biggest athletes in the world. Um, so real pleasure talking to him. And definitely go check out Andy's website at www.adbapi.com as well as his Instagram, ADB 
Photo Inc. Uh, lots of cool work up there and things he's working on. And also, Andy has a really cool podcast called Legends of Sport that he does every week and interviews some of the biggest athletes and different people in the sports field and uh, really interesting stuff. So definitely go check that out. And as always, I'll be having weekly podcasts every Monday on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, as well as on my website, alexgagnephoto.com, and on my Instagram, at alexgagnephoto. Thanks so much for listening, and take care.